0: Welcome to another episode of Wisdom Radio. This is your host, Andy Height, and you're in the right place if you are as curious as I am about life's big questions, because that's what we do here. And if you love the show and would like to see us continue to grow and thrive, visit patreon.com slash wisdom radio to show your support. And now let's welcome today's guest. Have you ever been curious about the belief that many people have that we are what we believe, that thoughts can shape our reality? Is it true? How would we know? After today's show, you're going to be asking yourself, what do I think about most of the time? And how are my thoughts impacting my present and future happiness and success? I've invited author and filmmaker Douglas Vermeeran onto the show because. Quite frankly, he's one of the leading thinkers on this subject. Over the last two decades, he has done hundreds of firsthand interviews um, and he's conducted research into the lives of the world's top achievers in areas related to the mind. Um, He's made it his mission to connect the dots and to try to understand why some people are super successful in life while others are perpetually stuck in a rut. He's written several books on the topic. He's an inspirational speaker on personal power, and he has a new film out called How Thoughts Become Things. Well, welcome to the show, Doug. I am looking forward to today's conversation, and um, in particular, I'm interested in this idea of personal empowerment and mastery of consciousness. Is um, is that what you would call it?
1: I, I think that's a great way to, to describe it, and, but maybe we need to start with the idea of mastery, too, because... This is something that I think is often misunderstood, and I, I want your listeners to feel like perfection is not expected of you today. <laughs> what, what I want to share is it's interesting that mastery, especially even in the seminar that I teach, Personal Power Mastery, we define that actually as a desire to progress or a certain level of perseverance, a willingness to try, a commitment to do better. And I think it's important that we recognize that when someone has generally become a master at anything that's the actual true moment that they realize they don't really know much at all.
0: Oh, that's true. I like that. That's very well said. Speaking of that, when was the moment that you realized you were going to spend your life helping people in the way that you do? Wow,
1: that's a great question. I think uh, what's interesting is I still don't consider myself as big of a helper as I am a student. Uh, Learning has always kind of been the beginning of everything for me. And uh, I kind of fell into this idea of, you know, sharing it through speaking and seminars and movies and things by accident. For those of you who maybe don't know my background, um, when I was 19, I went out and I started interviewing people very much like what Napoleon Hill did. And I got to some of the world's biggest achievers. And again, I was doing it at that point just because I wanted to learn. And then suddenly I had people coming out of the woodwork saying, well, what did Richard Branson teach you, right? Like, what did you learn from... Uh, Mark Cuban or some of these big names, right? And so uh, that's kind of what really led to it. And as I saw that people enjoyed it and it made a difference for them, and also it it really kind of caused me to look more carefully at what I've learned. You know, what do they say? That you don't really learn it until you can teach it, right? You don't know it until you can teach it. And so that's kind of what led to it. And then um, I have just enjoyed it. Like I, I just found I really enjoyed being a teacher of these things. But I have to confess, I'm still learning. Uh, I still actually go out and meet new achievers all the time. And I also um, have a relationship with many of them that uh, is still teaching me to this day.
0: You know, that shows that there's a certain humility, um, you know, being humble uh, to all that we really don't know, and just trying to put the pieces together so that we can try to understand what is going
1: on. (laughs) Well, it's interesting that you say that, because the biggest enemy to any kind of progress and most people may not even recognize it, but it is ego. And ego doesn't just appear in in the form of saying I'm the best. Ego sometimes also appears in the form of minimalizing ourselves and saying I'm not good enough and I can't do this. That's also a form of ego. And I think that, uh, you know, as I've interviewed 400 of the world's top achievers, probably one of the most common attributes they have is they're learners. They really want to understand. And in fact, one of the uh, success interviews that I did was with a fellow by the name of Bill Bartman. Bill started out on welfare and became the 25th wealthiest man in the United States at one point. And one of the things that he said to me, which is really interesting, he says, if I'm the smartest guy in the room, I'm in the wrong room. (laughs) (laughs)
0: Right? Yes. Well, that was interesting because that was one of my questions for you is, especially right now, there's a lot in the news about privilege and um, being born into the right circumstances. How... How can what we're we're going to hear about today in terms of how thoughts become things, how thoughts become your life, um, how does that connect with people who are born into really difficult circumstances? And I guess the gentleman that you just mentioned is a good example of how. Well,
1: I, I think it's important to recognize that when each of us arrive here, we are arriving into a set of programming, meaning that our parents have it when they get us. And they got that programming from their parents and so on and so forth all the way back to the beginning of time, right? And so we we kind of are arriving with a certain set of beliefs and also certain set of circumstances. And the interesting thing is is not only have those shaped us as, as we've been children, we always hear people talk about our programming, you know, makes us who we are based on the families we we're raised in, but even the programming we are subjecting ourselves to now is having an effect. We're being programmed in this very moment. Even in fact, people listening to your podcast right now are being programmed. We're right in the thick of it. But the interesting thing is, is that, you know, we've got to be careful because many kind of people accept their circumstances and their programming as unchangeable, and that's where the lie takes place. You see, you know, where you started never equates to where you begin, and there's been people of every race, ethnicity, background, and culture who've been in difficult circumstances. They arrived in difficult circumstances, and the programming was less than great but there's been countless examples of people who made a choice and they've recognized that power of choice and they've risen above it. And so I think it's really important that we start with awareness and then we start by making choices that will serve us. And I think the problem is, is that most people just take for granted that things are the way they are and that's the way they'll always be. And if there is a change, they don't really know how to go about it. And that's quite frankly why sometimes we see also these violent eruptions because True sure, change, I love, I was listening to Les Brown the other day, who was talking a little bit about this, about how violence really like this doesn't really create lasting change. Sure, it creates a shock, but it doesn't create lasting change. And so we've got to recognize that we've got more power than we've ever given ourselves credit for. Yeah,
0: and there's a lot going on there in terms of who's angry and why, and and then um, people who, I mean, you've seen incredible, talk about programming and coming out of the programming, how um, protesters and police are now walking arm in arm. And, you know, so there's a lot of really interesting things happening with regard to redefining what we, what we think of as just the way things are. Um, but let's back up a minute to talk about programming, what it is. So when we, we, we come into the world, you know, we just, uh, we're we're naturally sponges, so we we just pick up things in those first what four to five years that stay with us for our whole lives, and that's what you're talking about in terms of programming, right?
1: Well, that's the beginning of programming for sure. But we're even being programmed now, right? You know, what are the things you're surrounding yourself with? What is the social media you subscribe to? What is the the commentaries that you're you know engaging in? Uh, what is the you know everything? You fill in the blank. So, certainly, we're, we're very much shaped in our beliefs in the beginning because we don't know anything better. We don't have any tools to any really evaluating. So, as a, as a child, certainly, we kind of take everything at face value, especially when we're seeing it, you know, proclaimed and endorsed by those that we love and care about, right? We trust that. But I think we also need to recognize that at any time in our life, our programming can be altered. We can make changes. But it all begins with awareness. And I think the challenge is for most people, um, you know, is they don't really think through their programming. They don't really think through what it is that they believe, or they care about. And uh, they just take it for granted and keep playing the same routine. They're more like on an autopilot. And that's where the danger is.
0: Let's talk about your new film, How Thoughts Become Things, because that certainly is one of the recipes for pulling ourselves out of that programming into our full potential. Yeah, absolutely. What gave you the idea to do the movie? Well, you know what's interesting is I've been thinking about this particular film for quite some
1: time. And, um, you know, this is actually my fourth movie. So the truth is I actually wanted to make this one earlier. (laughs) But um, I had some other things we needed to share and say to kind of set up the groundwork for this to be best understood. I think... For me, when I went up my interview, the 400 of the world's top achievers, I noticed a real big shift in me, firstly. Uh, Because I came from a background where my parents were really hard workers, but they, you know, they traded time for money. They didn't understand a lot of the principles of how to, uh, you know, gain or, or create success. My father worked in construction and my mom babysat kids in the home and they took all kinds of additional jobs just to make ends meet. So I noticed as I started meeting with the top achievers that my thinking began to change, but so did my results. And so I began to see firsthand a, a, a significant correlation, a big correlation. And um, that's kind of what, what the genesis of the film was, but I didn't really know how to express it in the film at that point. And so for me, it kind of came a few years later, I was meeting with a friend of mine and uh, they talked about this idea of thoughts become things. And as they talked about that, I was kind of like, yeah, but how, <laughs> right? Like what's the how behind it? Thank you so much. but um, it's I don't what, know. what is it?
0: It's almost like magic. Like, what do you mean by that? <laughs> yeah, and,
1: and, and kind of what they were giving me is kind of an incomplete picture. And I was like, okay, sure. But, you know, and it was funny because I met a few years later with a friend of mine that was a neuroscientist and she does a, a lot of work at the university here. And I asked her, what are your thoughts on the law of attraction? She says, it's not a law. I said, what do you mean? Everybody says it's a law. It's on every show on TV. She goes, it's a theory. If it was a scientific law, we could then calculate it using equations where we could say X amount of units of good feelings will get you the Ferrari or whatever it is, right? And so I thought that was interesting. So that really sparked my idea of I wanted to understand how is it the thoughts really become things? How can we actually,
0: you know, bring these
1: thoughts under our control? And most importantly, as a human, I have negative thoughts sometimes. I have fear. I have doubt. I have despair sometimes. I have lots of different dimensions of thought. It's not so black and white. So what's really going on here? And that's kind of what led to the study. And I think we've, we've got some really cool answers in the film.
0: Yeah, I thought so too. And I love the uh, people that you, it's just, first of all, you have a great cast there with uh, Joe Vitale and um, Marie Diamond and uh, Bob Proctor and all sorts of interesting uh, thought leaders um, in, in this area. Um, and I took a couple notes here that I wanted to. One of them was this idea of um, overcoming fear. That you know, a lot of us are sort of locked in place with negative. Well, you know, we're not very nice to ourselves sometimes, and there's a lot of negative self-talk and a lot of doubting of our ideas and that kind of thing. Sure. Well,
1: well, it's, it's interesting too because I think um, in. You know, obviously, in the film, we get into greater detail on it, but fear is not the only obstacle that keeps us from having power in our thoughts. But we'll focus on fear today. Um, let me also share that when a brilliant thought comes in, like something that you really want to do, something that you really believe in, something that you feel passionate or powerful about, thoughts never arrive by themselves. They always come in pairs. So, as the powerful thought arrives, right behind it also comes what I call the question mark. And it can arrive at fear. It can arrive at feelings of self-doubt or unworthiness or the fact that you don't know enough or haven't done enough, or whatever you fill in the blank. It's always a feeling of lack or a feeling of uh, like we were saying it's fear. Now we can have a choice at that point. We can either be afraid and step away or we can actually get engaged. And most people, of course, step away. Most people, in fact, dismiss it by making a simple excuse because it's easier in actually asking the question what does this really look like and fear if we understand it correctly is always really a representation of the unknown right it's always attached to a feeling that we don't know something you see when we know something it's like a child being scared of the dark right when the lights go on they're not afraid when the lights go out they can't see anymore so they become afraid and their imagination can create things that just don't even exist and so the biggest thing us to really start overcoming fear is to see what it is that we're truly afraid of and to understand it. Now, in some circumstances, it's justified. Like um, I've got uh, a friend and he uh, does free climbing up mountains. In other words, he doesn't use gear. He goes right to the top. To me, fear is justified then, right? And it makes him make smart decisions. And uh, mm-hmm. if, if you know, he had absolutely no fear as he was climbing that, chances are he'd make mistakes that would cause him to probably die. Right? But but most people, I think, when they're looking at this idea of thoughts become things, they they label fear as such a terrible thing, and they say that if I'm going to manifest something in my life, I've got to think positive and hopeful, and I've got to be always, you know, on on a very high vibration of uh, almost, you know, uh, incurable optimism. And that's actually not possible, not as humans, because... We do have fear, and fear serves its purpose. It causes us to be careful, and it causes us to do things uh, a little bit more precise than we would otherwise. And so, yes, there are you know elements that we need to overcome in fear, but we cannot and should not eliminate it. I think mean, that that's that's kind of a dangerous thing.
0: What is the um, fear of things getting too? big so my idea let's say you're thinking to yourself well that idea is way too big there's no way i can ever handle that or do it or um so that's a limiting factor but you know the, the yeah. film the film sort of indicated that the good ideas that come to you are the ones that come from a really authentic place and oftentimes they are really big ideas
1: well here's it. here's the interesting thing to think about and I think whenever somebody's looking at a, at a big idea and saying well I can't do that or that etc it, it reminds me of uh, a visit that I had with one of the top 400 achievers when I was you know a young man trying to you know build my business build my life I was sitting with one of these achievers and um, I started asking questions how am I supposed to do that what am I supposed to do and he goes well the first thing if you're going to create any kind of success bigger than you is you need to stop asking selfish questions and I was like, what? i never heard that before. Okay, expand. What do you mean? And he said, well, most entrepreneurs or most individuals, whenever they are going to, you know, trying to accomplish something big in life, they shut it down by asking selfish questions. The questions are, what can I do? What should I do? How will I do this? Etc. I, I, I. And he goes, the best question if you're ever going to expand or do something big is never even a what or a how I question. It's a who. I said, well, what do you mean by that? And he said, if you want to do something big, you need to ask, who do I know that can help me? Who do I know that understands this? Who do I know that has systems in place for this? Who do I know? And that's really what grows things in life, is to understand that all big enterprises are never done by one individual, whether they're in you know, business, relationships, wealth, whatever it is, you fill in the blank. No great or grand uh, thing in life has never been caught, accomplished by an individual. Even if you look at, you know, Sir Edmund Hillary climbing Mount Everest, he did it with a team. Neil Armstrong on the moon, he did it with a team. Everything is always done by a group of people when it's done at a high level. And I think it's really important we understand if, if you are having a concern thinking big, mostly it's because you think you've got to do it all yourself. And you think that there aren't elements in, in the world and in the universe that could help you. And so it's
0: always a symptom of selfishness. Well, that's a really good point um, and really interesting. Let's say that I'm somebody who's not quite ready to do the Tour de France, but I'm ready to take off my training wheels and ride around the neighborhood by myself. So, can with with this whole new paradigm of um, allowing your reality to take shape through your thoughts, are there kind of first steps that people can take?
1: I think the first step is awareness, kind of unfolds our programming, which shows us why we haven't done it. And when we begin to understand our programming, we can then understand that we have choices. We can make choices. Now, the interesting thing, if we really look at kind of the essence of thought, like I said, they arrive generally in Paris. We can then decide what thought will we develop, what will we do without, right? Like, which ones are we interested in? And and fear in the beginning wipes a lot out. And we also measure those thoughts as they first appear to our values and our beliefs. And it's interesting to look at that if we don't value something, we generally discard it or label it negatively, immediately. So, you know, it really does start with that measurement, with that programming. The thing that's also interesting to notice is when we label it with a value, if it's something that Really is either very much in harmony with our values or very much against our values. It also then creates an emotion. And thoughts have zero power until they have emotion. right? Just think about it. You're watching TV and you see something and it's like, Oh, that's nice, but doesn't really mean much to you, And you dismiss the thought, right? Versus if someone says something to you and either it's really inspiring because it's in harmony with your values and what you believe, or it's really discouraging or frustrating. It's against your values and beliefs, then you get highly emotional. And that thought will often cause you to take action now because it's got emotion attached. You'll either take a positive action or a negative action. And so we've got to understand that that's what gets things going. Now, what keeps things going? Most people say, I got to get motivated. Well, motivation is actually not the thing that changes people, but momentum is. So once you take an action on something that you're highly emotionally charged about, either good or bad, and it and then again, add to that emotion or you see a return on the activity that you've done, like a, or let's call it a return on effort, return on investment, whatever it is, whatever. When your brain sees that it's providing additional value to what you believe or, or feel, you'll continue doing that, right? And the problem is, is eventually it becomes a habit. And sometimes, you know, we keep doing things that are no longer serving us, right? We started, they they gave us something in the beginning but not anymore but we keep doing them because our programming has told us at one point that this is this is a good thing carry on in that direction right
0: so emotion is a big piece of it um, so when you're when you're sort of meditating on the reality that you're envisioning you're, you're sort of your big vision for your life if it's coming from a place of of true authenticity and an emotion which would be what gratitude love these emotions that make things happen. Um, how do you think that, I mean, from talking to all the people that you've talked to, how do you think that actually happens? How does it, how do things go from your thoughts into real, into reality?
1: Well, again, it's something called the ripple effect is what we discovered. Now we've kind of talked a little bit already about, you know, the thoughts arrived, you then kind of make a, an evaluation to see if they fit with your values or your beliefs or something that's important to you, then the emotion is assigned to it. When the emotion is assigned to it, in our mind, we begin to do what I call a spiritual creation. We start to ask the question, how would I get started with this? And by the way, the brain never starts with what it could do. It always starts with the things it can do. So is there a step that I can take? Is there something that I can do to start this off? And as our brain begins to create, it also asks, again, am I qualified? And that's where that selfish question comes in, right? And if people stick those, am I qualified to just themselves, oftentimes it's very difficult to really create success. I mean, we can get started, but we need to even at that stage be able to ask who can help me, where can I learn how to do it, what, what is already out there in terms of support or systems, et cetera. And then as we begin to you know, see the reality that it could be possible through that sort of spiritual creation, we then take a step and we take an action. We make a decision. And by the way, decision is never a decision until it has an action attached to it, right? That's the thing that qualifies it. Decision requires we do something. And then as we do it, you know, our brain evaluates and it sees, did we make any progress? Did this serve us? Did it work as we hoped? And then we make adjustments um, and can and carry on. And sometimes the adjustment is, is we're done. <laughs> That's it. <laughs> That's as far as we're going to go with this. But other times, okay, what do I need to do to either repeat this in a better way and Generally, again, we only get started with things that we believe will work and things that we can do. We don't really ever invest our effort or time wholeheartedly anyways in something that we think will fail. And, you know, it's interesting. You can see that even at, you know, a person's work situation. If someone has to do something and you don't think it's a good idea, you don't ever really give it your best shot anyways, right? You kind of hold back with, you know, your best effort. So it, it really is important to recognize that our mind is the same way, that we, we generally won't give our best to something unless we believe that it's going to produce the outcomes that we want.
0: How important do you think being present and allowing yourself to just wander and dream, um, how important is that, allowing yourself to have time for that in your life uh, in terms of oh, yeah. connecting with a, your true... That's truth. a great question. Yeah. yeah,
1: and that's definitely important, very, very important. Um, there's different kinds of thinking, and I talked about this in a different interview this morning with someone else. But going back to this idea of being present, you know it was interesting, a couple of years ago there was a study that was put out through Time magazine and you know, how they put out these uh, books sometimes on the brain or on fitness or whatever. Anyways, there was this one that was put out on happiness. And it talked about the most powerful sense of happiness actually comes when a person is fully present. In other words, we don't experience full happiness when we're even thinking about a happy memory in the past. I mean, those are nice and those are wonderful. And we also don't experience the fullness of happiness thinking about what a future might be. And again, that's a wonderful thing to think about. But when we're fully present, enjoying an experience as it's unfolding and being fully in that moment, that's when we experience the greatest degree of happiness. And I think that's kind of interesting, um, but it's also interesting to note that that's also the greatest sense of accomplishment. You know, some people take the word now. And by the way, the word now, in my opinion, is the most fragile word in the entire dictionary. Even if you say it with me right now, now, the word, right, just like that, it's gone. It's gone. That's it. Can't, can't bring it back. And a lot of people take that word now, and you've probably seen those little motivational posters that they rearrange the spelling when it now spells one. If you do it now, you've won. you Have seen that? And they put a nice little kitty cat on it and everybody's happy, right? That little poster. But the truth is, is it's more than that. And it's not really a competition of a person either winning or losing. It really is this. As I've observed the world's top achievers, that word now, take the letters N-O-W. It really stands for no other way. And so if you would like to achieve something successful in your life, if you want to have something where, you know, you're feeling fulfilled or you're feeling happy, You really need to understand how to embrace that moment of now. You need to be present for it. You need to take action in it. You need to pause and use it for thinking. You need to just really understand that that word has so much more power than we've ever given it before. I think that's really important.
0: I love that. I love that. Well, we're always living either recounting what we've been through or thinking about what's coming up, but just to really allow ourselves to be present in the moment, I think is really powerful. I'm glad you, uh, you agree with, um, that that's an important component of what you're talking about. Um, what about this idea of giving to receive? So in other words, uh, we all come into the world with different gifts and, uh, abilities and, um, and you were saying, you know, a lot of us get into that ego place where we're, you know, we're thinking about I, I, um, do you think there's some value and power in, Thinking about you know how you can give uh, what you what you came into the world with. Um, do you think that's that's something that plays into creating this reality for oneself? That is, you know? yeah,
1: yeah, and, and, and that's actually an interesting way to look at it. You know, I, I think the thing that's that's powerful about you know creating a reality, you know, is that I love what Dennis Wheatley said in our film. He said that we're living in a virtual reality right? That's what he called the world, right? Uh, Joe Vitale also talked about it a little bit, and I love kind of also what Marie Diamond said. She says that everything around us is like a 3D vision board, a three-dimensional vision board, and so all of that created uh, originally in our minds, the things that we have around us, it's created in our mind, the circumstances that we are. Now, I recognize that there's some details that, you know, they're just part of the circumstance in the world that we are, uh, you know, everything that we're in and, and part of, but for the most part, everything in your existence that you have right now was brought to you based on choices and decisions and things that you made. And I think that one of the biggest challenges that most people have is when it comes to thought, they don't really think, <laughs> right? They don't think. They, they're they on autopilot, and so they just kind of accept what other people's thoughts have put on them. It's almost like you've got the choice. You can act or you can be acted upon, Right. And most people are just content to go with the flow and be acted upon, and so therefore they experience things that they often don't care for. Right? It, life is a proactive journey to those that will do it, and a state of victimhood for those that will not.
0: Yeah. Wow. And that that people do really give other people so much power, and uh, in a not in a good way, <laughs> like, um, in terms of. Um, uh, so, so let's talk about toxic people, uh, if we're going to take it to that next level. Um, what do you do about the people around you who don't share your enthusiasm for uh, the dream that you might have for yourself?
1: Well, this is this is a really, really powerful thing we're going to talk about now. You know, it's interesting. As I, as I interviewed the world's top achievers, I found that most of the gurus and coaches and life coaches and all the stuff that are out there right now have it totally wrong. And you can tell that they they really have never taken the time to create massive success for themselves or uh, go out and learn from successful people. And I know this sounds maybe mean to say that, but let's look at this realistically. Most of the gurus out there are telling you you need to eliminate toxic people from your life. Well, now I agree you need to eliminate abusers, but they don't understand. With toxic people, number one, your programming is to determine what a toxic person is. You might even have the definition incorrect right? And if you look at the top achievers, and again, I interviewed 400, and I began to see some very common markers, even among the first 20 that I interviewed, let alone the first 400, here's the deal. They don't run from problems, and that includes problem people, right? They learn how to manage people, they expand beyond the problem, and they learn how to become bigger than the problem. So if you're running from a toxic person already, you've limited yourself, and you're saying that that person's power is greater than mine, The other thing about this, too, is when we're talking about toxic people, let's really itemize this now. There's really two kinds, of There's a complainer, somebody who's saying, you know, whoa, 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 everything's terrible. And they never really offer a solution. They just always have a complaint. Well, again, if you know who you are and you build within yourself the power of what you want to do, you can build boundaries against those people. You don't have to subscribe to what they're saying. You don't have to become a follower. You don't have to embrace or endorse what you're saying. You can simply dismiss it. But you need to be aware of what you want before you're in a position of power to to dismiss what you don't want, right? So that's number one. Number two is a critic. So there's a complainer and a critic. Now, here's the thing with a critic. is a critic is generally somebody who comes forward, and they are stating a solution. They're stating how something can be fixed. And many times they're speaking the truth. But the problem is that they're maybe not a good communicator. So you shut them off because they don't make you feel good as they share this. Well, you know, it's interesting. If I go back to even my high school days, I had people who told me stuff I didn't want to hear. They said, you shouldn't be hanging around with those people. You shouldn't do this. You shouldn't do that. You should do better in school, blah, blah, blah. I didn't like to hear it, but it was true. And I needed to hear it. And it kept me safe. And it was coming from people that, although they weren't good communicators, they loved me. So, you know, for us to dismiss right away someone who is a critic just because they're saying something we don't like and calling it toxic is actually, again, a very selfish point of view and it's a very unteachable point of view. And that's why most people are destined to repeat all their same mistakes again and again and again because they carry too much ego and they think that their way is right. In fact, not too long ago, I was talking with another uh, big thought leader and he said, did you know the word? believe, like when you believe something, is actually a lie. And I said, well, what do you mean by that? And I'm interested because I agree, but what do you think? He says, well, the minute that you believe something is true, you cut off all other possibilities. You aren't open to hear another way because you believe that this is the only way. And if we look at the world, like let's just take even money for an example. There are a million ways or more to become a millionaire. Just because you don't Like one of those ways does not make it untrue, right? So whenever we believe something, we cut off all other possibilities. And so we've got to be really careful about what we choose to believe. Now, having said that, I agree that there are certain physics laws and laws of science that will always be true. For example, you can't jump out of a building and just because you believe gravity doesn't work, you're going to be able to (laughs) avoid the consequences of that law, right? Certain laws are always true. But more often than not, the things that people establish as beliefs are precepts, which have to do with our attitudes and our evaluation and our characteristics and the way that we interpret things and the way that we believe to create outcomes. And they have very little to do with the laws, so to so speak, of the universe. But we believe we're right and everyone else is wrong. And as a result, well, again, we label other people as toxic when really we shouldn't be. Uh, and I think that that's the reality of it
0: yes and so it sounds as though there's a certain level of fluidity that one has to um maintain uh, open mindedness um certain qualities that will help you to navigate um the problems that you're uh, bound to encounter as you're moving Uh, towards creating it kind of reminds
1: me of what Stephen covey who i think was probably the greatest thought leader of our time you know every people don't give him the credit that is due to him but he said it simply seek to understand before becoming understood right that is what all the top achievers that i ever interviewed ever did right they were curious and they were learners and they wanted to understand and if you think about it and and maybe this is a good illustration so you've got people at uh, what i call a high level then you've got people at a low, or what I call the slow, or the no level, right? Just around us, we've got people who are very stuck in their ways at those low, low levels. They can't be taught. they won't be changed. And then you've got to recognize that it's kind of like a continuum of, you know, white to gray to black all the way. There's people all the way in the middle of this, too. So some people are willing to learn about certain things, and they're willing to receive about certain things. And even I myself, there's certain, you know, prejudices and beliefs and things that I probably have that I'm not willing to listen to right? Everybody has that, but the more open we are, the more we are to this higher enlightened level of understanding that we don't always have the right answer, that we don't always have um, the best position, that there is often a better way to do it. The more we can be open to receiving that, the more power we have. It's kind of like the universe, right? The universe is always in the mode of expansion, and the more choices that we have of seeing something or more ways of doing something we have, the more power we have. The less ways we understand, and the less choices we believe, and the less options we have, the less power we have. And I think most people are dissatisfied with a few choices that they continually repeat, they continually return to, and it doesn't really give them any of what they want.
0: Yes, yes. Now, with the achievers that you have interviewed and what you've learned from them, um, obviously they are open, they're listening to people around them and their teams and different opinions, and they're reading and they're absorbing. Um, and they're curious. Um, in addition to that, do you get a sense that they also are just tapped into a whole other level of wisdom coming into them?
1: Well, I, I, I think, and this may be, I don't know. I mean, I don't know if I'm right on this, but I feel like there's kind of two different things I've seen. One, I've seen people who, for some reason or another, they just have a gift and they, they can dial into their intuition. They can dial into wisdom they can understand things at a, at a level it's just a gift that they have but I've also seen people people who um you know it's almost like playing an instrument right you've got people who are natural musicians that they can just kind of pick up and play almost anything and it's miraculous almost but then you've got others who can also play extremely well but they've gained that through effort right they've gained that through uh application and practice and and effort and so I think it's available to everyone I don't think it's an things. But I do believe, again, it starts with this awareness. And I think the problem with most people, again, is they're on autopilot. They never really think about what could be or who they are or what's going on. They just kind of take life at, you know, the pace that it comes at. And that's a very reactive state.
0: So you think, so is that sort of what 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 one means by, you know, when when you wake up? It, it's, you know, you hear that a lot, you know, well, we all need to wake up. So it's sort of coming out of this place of autopilot into a greater awareness of?
1: I, I get what you're saying, but again, I, I'm not 100% sure that I agree with the concept of waking up, right? To me, that sounds almost like it's a light switch, and then suddenly, all of a sudden, I've got it, right? And I don't think light works that way. I think it's, again, more like a dimmer switch rather than a light switch. And if I look at certainly my own experience in life, um, yes, there were certain events that really opened my eyes, but for the most part... You know, my growth and experience was not a big aha or a series of ahas. It was a series of little lessons that quite frankly, sometimes I didn't even realize were taking root.
0: Well, thank you. Thank you. I I think a lot of people will appreciate that because there is sort of this sense that, Oh, I'm just not getting it, or I'm not getting it fast enough or, you know, um, comparing yourself to other people and why are they, you know?
1: Well, well, you know, that that's interesting that you even use that word comparison and fast enough. First of all, fast enough compared to what? And then secondly, Anytime we're engaged in comparison, criticism, jealousy, anything like that, it's a form of scarcity thinking. So it actually contracts and limits us, right? It works against us. So, you know, we should be very – well, we should be. Again, I just want to underline that, that it's not as easy to do as we are talking about. But we should be. Um, very content with who we are be satisfied that we're learning and I think most of us because you know what do they say when you are the picture in the frame you can't really see what the picture looks like right and I kind of like there's a quote that I heard once from Oprah Winfrey that says a mentor is someone who helps us see things about ourselves that we do not yet understand and I think that if we were to look you know realistically with an honest viewpoint most of us have evolved and learned so much from some of our earlier experiences in life, right? Um, but we don't recognize it because we're inside, right? We're inside, inside the
0: picture frame. That's that's a very powerful visual.
1: Yeah, you can't see the picture if you're right. already in it. What are your
0: uh, What are some of your secrets for, uh, let's say, some of your daily practices that you uh, that you do?
1: Well, I think. Um, I don't know if there's secrets. <laughs> I guess. Well, we're not in your home with anything.
0: you, so maybe I don't know. <laughs> yeah,
1: I don't know. I mean, uh, I, I, I think for me I, I make sure that every day I'm learning something. I'm a constant student. In fact, it's interesting. One of my friends, one of my close friends, John D. told me that he studies his content for what he teaches generally about three hours a day. And to me, that's neat, but I don't know if I got three hours, right? Like that's a lot of time, right? Um, so, and that's also maybe why he's at the level that he's at. Um, so I think we've got to recognize uh, you know, that learning needs to be a part of your day. So for me, when I wake up, I, I do some reading in the morning. I also then will work out while I'm working out. I often will watch, you know, YouTube videos and learn at the same time. I'm always looking at, two things. How can this apply to me today? So I'm not looking for learning to go, oh, that's neat. I'll keep that in mind the next time I play Trivial Pursuit. No. I want to know, like, how does this apply for me today? And then I guess the other thing that I think is how we can really tell when we've learned something is, can we teach it? So when I'm learning something, I always ask the question, how would I teach this? And sometimes concepts come into my mind, or even new ideas, or even sometimes investigating the thought enough tells me that what I've just learned isn't quite complete or accurate. And I find a new way. So I always question the learning that you're doing as well, I think. And that's important. And then I do carry around a notebook and I'm consistently writing thoughts or ideas or impressions that I have. And like I said earlier, I don't know if I'm kind of like these people, like the musical instrument that you can just play it. It comes up with great ideas. I don't know if that's me. I often don't feel like it is anyways. But I do know that as I work hard to try and understand concepts and ideas, and I make notes, and I, I approach it as though I was almost a student in school trying to understand, that things become easier, right? Line upon line a little bit, and um, suddenly I've got uh, a, a clearer point of view.
0: Yeah, I like that. So you're sort of like a dot connector, uh, Maybe. Like somebody I hope, who I is. <laughs> well, well, you you're receiving a lot of. I once did a, a project on qualities of genius and one of the qualities of a genius is is to have a prepared mind so it says the prepared mind makes the potent link so you're you know you have a really prepared mind and you're connecting those dots that maybe other people don't see you know I I think of Star Wars sometimes and that's also what came to me when I was uh, watching your film on the collective unconscious you know Jung and this idea that we're all connected and you know feeling you know, we can feel a disturbance in the force and, and whatnot, but we, on the flip side, we can also, it's almost like, you know, you just put it out there and then people just start appearing in your life or um, it is pretty amazing how, how that works. I, I have no idea how that works. Do, do you? But it does seem to work.
1: <laughs> <laughs> the force is strong yes. with us. You know what, I, I'm a big Star Wars fan, and, and I think, uh, you know, it's funny because if I look back over my life, you know, they they say, take a look at your history on YouTube, what you watch videos the most about, and that tells you a little bit about what some of your programming is, the things that you love and the things that you seek after, and I, I admit, there is some Star Wars in my watch history, I grew up with it, and, and, I, and I love it, right, I love what they've done with the original trilogy, the prequels and, and what's come since, I didn't really feel like they hit the nail yeah. on the head there. But, um, you know, I, I think one of the reasons why, you know, those kind of things did hit home with us with the original series, though, is because the characters were, again, so relatable. They had the same kind of thoughts that we did. We followed their thought process. We could empathize. We can understand. And we could be them, right? We could really experience it. And I think that that's also one of the things we can maybe understand about human relations, right? Is that the more we can sort of empathize with those around us, the more connected we'll be. And I don't know that, um, you know, if we're looking, what is the force? Uh What is the force? You don't need to see this guy's identification. These aren't the droids you're looking for. Well, what is the real idea? I think it's to find empathy to see things. When we really can connect with them on those deeper levels, they do get us. And sometimes it's almost like that country song where it says you don't need any words because, you know, you love someone so much you don't need any words to talk. I think that's kind of what we start seeing when we can really connect with sure, these deeper levels. Sure, sure. Right? Well,
0: it sure has been nice connecting with you today. And um, I've, I have I really know. loved your, your film, and um, I, I hope it does really, really well. And why don't you tell people um, how they can... Um, find the film and, um, watch it. Sure.
1: Absolutely. Well, the name of the film is how thoughts become things. And that's actually the name of the website too. So you can go to www.howthoughtsbecomethings.com. And right now, actually, if you head over to watch the film, we've got, um, you know, some workbooks and, uh, some audios and some additional fun kind of bonuses that are yours for free when you come and watch the movie. So, again, head over to HowThoughtsBecomeThings.com and get your copy of the film right now. And
0: are there ways that people can also connect with you and your other books and films um, through there as well? Okay, Absolutely. Yeah, we've,
1: we've actually got a lot of free stuff that we share that will allow you to uh, determine if you really, if you like my vibe, you become the tribe, right? that's that's the way. So on YouTube, I've got a uh, YouTube channel that you just type in Douglas Vermeer and it will bring you to the channel. There's lots of really great stuff there, including some of the actual interviews with the world's top achievers.
0: And I'll, I'll link uh, I'll link to that too in the uh, okay, interview. Okay, cool. Uh, uh, wisdomradio.org for people. Yeah, go ahead.
1: Yeah, on our Instagram too, you can find me at Douglas Vermeer and uh, lots of free stuff that we share there. And I'd uh, love to have you come join us in the journey.
0: Great. And for folks who are uh, listening, uh, outside of wisdomradio.org, just pop over there, um, to this interview and I'll have all the links, uh, right there. Wonderful. Wonderful. Well, um, have a great day. <laughs> Thank you.
1: It's been so fun being with you. I appreciate it. And, uh, I wish your, your listeners as well. Also, uh, much success in the future and, uh, we're excited to support you on your journey how well we can and, uh, You know, let's uh, let's do this together. That's what it's
0: all about. Well, thank you so much for sharing your wisdom today. Uh, Certainly, you've uh, learned so much in your life, uh, talking to amazing people and then really internalizing that and uh, making an incredible life for yourself, too. I think that's really neat. Thank you. Thank you so much. I
1: appreciate you. Thanks for
0: having me on. All right. Take care now. This is Andy Haidt. Thanks so much for listening to Wisdom Radio. You know, a lot of people ask me how they can support the mission of the show, which is to seek answers to life's big questions. And it's actually really easy. Just go on over to patreon.com wisdomradio to show your love. You can also follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Wisdom Radio. I'm so glad you're here. Until next time, remember who you are and what you know.